everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That. You know who we are, you know what we do, and we're on a podcast network called Movie John, so um, definitely check that out if you can. So I'm here with my co-hosts today, Connor, Christine, and Dave, and we are excited to start a new theme this month, and this theme is in honor of a very big and special thing that happened this past weekend, which is Connor got married! Thanks, everyone. Yeah, they put a ring on. She put a ring on it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Okay, great. Um, well, congratulations, Connor, and <laughs> to celebrate your uh, your wedding, uh, we decided to do a romance theme, and I think that some of us, meaning like me, maybe. Um, played a little fast and loose with this idea of romance, but <laughs> um, before we get into my pick and everything about it, uh, how's everybody doing and have you seen anything cool lately? Before we started recording, I said that sometimes pick, like trying to remember the most recent thing I watched is incredibly difficult and stressful to think about. <laughs> and I have not watched much in the past couple of weeks because I just got married. Hooray. Um, but I did watch um, when my friend came down for bachelor party times, uh, the new Amazon animated show Invincible based mm-hmm. off of the comic starring uh, Sandra O, oh, J.K. Simmons, Stephen Wynn. Um, it was it was great. Eight episodes. Uh, brutal. I thought it'd be similar to the boys, but it can't be, you know, they're both subversions of the superhero genre. And that's kind of where the similarities end. Um, and they already renewed it for seasons two and three. So definitely recommend uh, very bloody graphic. So it's a pretty, can be intense show, can be very funny. And uh, JK Simmons gives a really stellar performance as Omni-Man. They're like version of Superman. Hearing a lot of good press for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just eight episodes, so you can really blow through it in just a weekend. That's nice. Uh, Connor, speaking of the boys, I actually started watching that over the weekend. Um, and I mentioned this to Connor before that I like it. And he was like, what? <laughs> and like, why? Why do you think I wouldn't like it? It's very like just crass, crude, graphic, things that very male-centric, um, yeah. things that which season two changes um, in kind of self-referential sort of great ways. Um, so I just didn't think that you'd be too into it, but I think it's a really great show. And I think Homelander is a super compelling character. And uh, Jack Wade and um, the guy who plays Billy, what's Carl Urban, I think are great. They have great, they're like great co-leads. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. I think I'm on like episode four or five of the first season. So not too, too deep in it. But what started me uh, on this journey was I know Jensen Ackles is going to be in the third season and I love Jensen. So I was like, oh, I'll give the show a try. I ended up liking it. So um, I'm excited to see what's coming up next. You know what character he's going to play? Have you heard? Soldier Boy? Yeah, basically a douchebag Captain America. Love it. Love that for me and him. I just uh, yesterday got around to a pretty interesting documentary uh, surrounding a childhood property that I'm very fond of and that uh, holds a very near and dear place to my heart. And that would be uh, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story uh, that a documentary about the creation and production of uh, that series, which is, you know, an extremely troubled production that was um, really arduous and like historyed for being uh, subject to like extensive delays and setbacks from um from its creator who um, 
in a way that the documentary does not shy away from and in recent years has been uh, really talked about is a very, very bad guy. Yeah. Some pretty complicated and pretty consistent character flaw reasons, um, as well as being kind of like a domineering, almost like fascistic overseer of the show and like kind of like creative control freak. But But how it did kind of launch children's uh, animated entertainment to like a new strata in the early 90s and how its ripples are still being felt in via influence today and um, ultimately did speak with some of the um, abuse victims of the show's creator who uh, of course had some pretty impactful and pretty condemning things to say about him but it really suggested that the, what drew them uh, unfortunately into his web was the the brilliance and like very pronounced uh, stylistic distinction of that series versus what was coming out at the time and how how important it was to them as children and that they would hate for other people to have taken away from their story that they should hate the series because they still find it to be really moving to them and really important to their childhood. So um, a really complex look at uh, creator versus content and also just a really sentimental one for me because it's a series that I really, really adored as a kid and still really enjoy. What's what is that playing on? I had to rent that on YouTube. Uh, it was only five bucks, but it was worth the watch. It's like um, an hour and 46 minutes and features a lot of really, really, they, they really went out of the way through like a Kickstarter campaign to like obtain all sorts of production drawings and cells and things like that. So it really does uh, lift the veil of the animation industry in the early 90s and show you a lot of the making of kind of nitty gritty, fine tuned uh, nuts and bolts of the series as it was as it was being created, which is really cool. Um, Dave, what was that called again? I already forgot. Uh, it's Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, okay. the Ren and Stimpy story, which if you're a, a fan of the show, obviously will probably ring a bell and be a little more memorable. But yeah, that's where you can find it. That was a show that I didn't appreciate as a kid. And then I think I rewatched a lot of it as like a middle schooler and gained a whole new sort of like appreciation for it when I was a little older. It's a pretty incredible series, really subversive and really intense. And like one of those things that is complicated in the sense of its legacy, because how subversive can something be if it was created and championed by an asshole? But uh, in a lot of ways, it was. So uh, I think, yeah, very complicated legacy to that series and one that was really well laid out in that doc. Well, I guess along the lines of uh, creators that are somewhat controversial and some herald is being subversive and some herald is being an asshole... Uh, I watched a Harmony Korine movie, mm-hmm. which, um, for those who aren't familiar with his work, he did Kids, Gummo. He wrote Kids, yeah. He wrote he wrote Kids. Somebody mm. else directed it. Um, Larry Clark, yeah. But uh, I have I hadn't seen any of his movies, but had sort of had heard a lot about him uh, and about his films. But I watched his uh, most recent movie, Beach Bum starring one Matthew McConaughey and absolutely loved it. Now I feel based on what I understand from his other work, it's very different in that. Well, what I loved about it is that it was really refreshingly hilarious and light and just a pleasure to watch Matthew McConaughey completely. I wouldn't even say immerse himself in this role because everyone knows at heart, he's like, like an overtanned beach bum who just, you know, <laughs> wants to smoke a shit ton of weed and just list, have people listen to him opine on life. So it's like that's his ideal setting. And that's his character. He plays this dude, Moondog, who lives in the Florida Keys and lives on his, or like has a boat and just is 
live in life and has a conflict-free existence because he he's like an aspiring poet who like had a success. And now I won't go too much into the plot because it might be, give something away, but it was just so, it was just a really fun movie to watch. Uh, a good friend of his is played by Snoop Dogg and Snoop Dogg was initially supposed to play himself, but at the last moment he like told Karini, he was like, okay, no, 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 no. I'm not going to play myself instead. I'm going to play a character named Ray, and his name is short for lingerie. <laughs> so that just gives you a wonderful <laughs> oh sense God. of how this movie does not take itself seriously and is just it's just a fun visual spectacle of just debauchery in the, like, lightest. There's actually there are a few moments that are like, ooh, but then it just... Zach, uh, Efron plays this really horrifying character, but I think that Martin Lawrence playing a ship captain who does He's dolphin, awesome. he he steals the show, really. Um, he plays a dolphin cruise boat captain. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite performances I've seen in recent memory. Anyhow, I probably, maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch his other movies, but this, this was a wonderful surprise. Uh, into the world and mind of uh, Harmony Green, But uh, yeah, big recommend from me. Yeah, I've not seen that one, but would really highly recommend Gummo if you have the stomach for it. That movie is, uh, it doesn't sound anything like the tone you're describing, but it's very, very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of want to see Spring Breakers because I, I, I can't pretty good resist too. a Florida movie. <laughs> I just love movies set in Florida, whether they're Florida noirs or just like whatever, but um yeah, anyhow. Is is that a genre? Florida noir? Oh yeah. Fucking what I just watched it this year with uh Body Heat. Body Heat is like the classic. That's like a psychosexual Florida noir, which is like its own specific genre in itself. <laughs> Florida but, noir sounds like the uh, hottest nightclub in Miami. It's a great genre. I mean, <laughs> Serenity is a Florida noir. <laughs> The transition to <laughs> to the movie we're talking about. So um, from a Florida noir to a the exact opposite uh, <laughs> Montana <more> epic. <laughs> um, my pick to start off our romance month is Legends of the Fall. This movie I have loved since I was a kid. Uh, I went through like a very strange Brad Pitt phase when I was a, a wee bab and I tried to figure out yesterday which movie did it. I think it might've been Fight Club, but fortunately I came upon this movie and loved it so much that it's remained in my heart and it will be there forever. Um, so Legends of the Fall was uh, an, a 1994 film directed by Edward Zwick. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, screenplay by Susan Chilliday and William D. Whitliff. Um, and it, of course, was based on Legends of the Fall, the, the book. Uh, it stars Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, Aidan Quinn, Julia Orman, uh, Henry Thomas, Bart the Bear is the bear, and many more. Um, this movie had a budget about $40 million and at the box office made $160 million worldwide, not $219. Um, and this movie is considered a financial success, but um, critics really panned it and continue to do that today. Um, I read some reviews and basically 
the best way I can summarize it is by saying meh, people hate the story, but love some of the performances, which yeah, I understand. I think that's a, a fair point. Um, now, obviously this was a movie that I've seen many, many times before. So um, Christine, you had seen this movie before. Uh, yes. Yes. And Connor, Dave, this was your first time? Mm-hmm. Cool. So what did you think about it for your first watch? So this was my first time watching it. Uh, I've never even heard of this movie until Sam brought it up. Uh, big fan of a lot of people in it. I love Anthony Hopkins. Um, he rocks a killer mustache and some really awesome wigs in this movie. Um, I think meh is kind of how I feel about it. Some really gorgeous landscapes. Um Sam, earlier we were talking about like romance in terms of like the landscape, the setting, the the time and place. So I didn't dislike this movie, but I don't quite know if it was for me. It was interesting looking at some of the choices that were made in terms of like cutting from scene to scene or crafting this sort of, you know, I guess multi-decade epic. Um, And so I'm sure we'll talk about the time and how time works in this movie, but Overall, I'd give it a solid like meh. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly what my roommate said. I made them watch it last night, and they're like, "Eh, I it, it was okay." <laughs> you know the the issues that I had with it, I think, will be interesting ones to talk about. So I think that's something. Yeah, my first time seeing it as well. Um, Sam, you had predicted how I would feel. How about it? That you would dislike this movie. Okay. Um. I don't know that I would go that far. I, I thought it had some very interesting elements that I was very drawn to. Uh, the performances are across the board. Um, I would say pretty convincing and definitely rise above the material that they're presented with, I think, because for me, the issues with the movie that I had largely surround this sort of sprawling narrative with too many points of focus and too many competing points of focus. Um, so I did find myself really enjoying kind of like the... Um, the more restrained and more uh, more small scale storytelling that was in the first half of the movie. And then as things spiraled into broader narratives, following the characters as they're separated by not only time and experience, but by like continents, uh, that's when it really started to, to fray a bit for me and lose my attention. So on the whole, I guess a bit of a mixed bag. I would say I enjoyed it more than I had problems with it. But overall, yeah, I, th- I found it to be kind of a middle of the road bit movie for me. Yeah, no, I definitely, I really understand, especially when it comes to the time period we're in and how time passes. Um, Like I said, I watched this with my roommates last night and one of them remarked like, how is this the same movie? And (laughs) really, exactly. Good question at times. Yeah, (laughs) no, definitely. Um, So I really hear you on that one. Christine, how, 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 as you've seen this before, like, what did you think about it then? What did you think about it now? So this movie is sits on the uh, Rayburn family shelf as like one of the VHSs that our family had that was sort of like under the like Western sweeping class, like the, like sweeping plains and Western epic Uh, like a river runs through it dances with wolves. So like, that these were in our VHS collections. And so I like have saw this from like a very early age. And I was mentioning this before we started recording, but what was great was that like 
scenes that I remember being absolutely devastating. (laughs) I just laughed out loud, but I feel like it um, elicited an equally animated response. What used to be anguish (laughs) was just like, this is hilarious. And in my opinion, I don't, I wouldn't watch this movie for realism. I would watch this movie for just this singular mode of melodrama that is just so odd and just so (laughs) captivatingly odd that like it sort of represents a very specific also period of like cinema that deals with westward expansion that it probably just like dances with wolves at the early mid 90s thought it was extremely or like thought it was way more progressive uh in storytelling of indigenous tribes and and perspectives than it looking back really is and so it's just it's just this time capsule for a very interesting period i think in hollywood history um yeah and just i found it fun to watch because like it's hilarious to just watch brad pitt yell and cry and scream and just so i think it was a it was a really fun returning to uh visual experience um and yeah like the the beautiful landscape uh, yeah connor is right like the way this was shot it was like that's where a lot of the thought went into the the horse the horse work which is like a weird phrase but like all the actors are the riding themselves <laughs> except for a few moments you can really tell um especially um Brad Pitt and Julia Ormond, who are doing like all of their riding. I was super impressed. Uh, You have like costume, like linen and fur for days. I mean, it's so beautiful. And like my favorite detail is scene changes marked by eagle cries. (laughs) You would not encounter that today. That is a very specific hallmark (laughs) of early to mid 90s Western. (laughs) The like Rocky Mountain Eagle cry. So that's sort of my summation of returning to Legends of the Fall. (laughs) And so I'm so glad we're able to talk about it. Uh, Christine, that's that is a a, a great piece of reflection. (laughs) I mean, you know, I really, I really agree with everything that we have all said. Um, if I was watching this movie for the first time now, I think I, I would fucking hate it. But, you know, I watched it when I was a kid and there's something about the nostalgia there that, you know, watching it now and knowing that it's imperfect, you still can't touch. Um, like I said before, like I was a, <laughs> randomly a big fan of Brad Pitt. And if I'm honest, some of Brad Pitt's early movies, I'm just like, how did you keep getting roles? You are bad. But he's not, I don't, I don't think that of him now. Um, anyway, so we've talked a lot about Legends of the Fall. Exactly what is it? So I stole this synopsis from Wikipedia, so God bless. Uh, Legends of the Fall follows three brothers and their father living in the wilderness and plains of Montana in the early 20th century and how their lives are affected by nature, history, war, and 
the film's time frame spans from the early 1900s, World War I, through the Prohibition era, ending with a brief scene set in 1963. And when they say brief scene, it is a wildly brief but amazing scene. So, um, like I said before, this movie is a part of our romance theme. And my first question that I wanted to get your takes on is, is this actually a love story? What do you think? I would say it's like a missed connections slash love. Yeah, it's like a love quadrangle or yeah, it's like a quadrangle, not a triangle, but mostly just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck. Is. I think I think that's a I think that's a probably that's a four sided triangle. That's what we call my friends a square. <laughs> well, that's it, folks. Uh, we're gonna pack it in, <laughs> wrap that right up, <laughs> package that up, and send that away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's you know I I would for sure think it's a love story, a love of you know competition of this love. I think a love of oneself of what our what we want to do a brotherly love a love of a certain way of life a love of wanting to have a certain way of life so i think it sort of comes at you know this kind of idea of love this idea of romance not just a purely relationship or person to person but also love of homestead and a love of kind of what you want the country and what you want your life to be which are pretty big themes and this movie tries to tackle all of them (laughs) Which is kind of, I don't know if this is just me getting a little older, but it's hard to, I don't know, dislike a movie sometimes that tries to like really tackle a lot at once. And clearly so much love and dedication has gone to the sets, the scene you of know, building the ranch and all of the, you know, the actual making of the movie itself felt very just larger than life and something that would have tons of green screen today felt very like genuine, um, lived in. So I would definitely think that this was a romantic movie i mean especially those eagle cries right nothing more romantic than that yeah there's definitely a romantic treatment to like the period and to a lot of the different character motivations i think as far as it being strictly like a romantic love story in the sense of like a romantic attraction and relationships this movie does the thing that always kind of skeeves me out of these kind of romance movies where like you have situations like say um one we've talked about before uh in a previous episode that you should go back and check out which is um why am I forgetting the name now? Uh, but, but, but while you were sleeping, where like it's a you know it's a family, uh, someone an outsider kind of falling in love with the, the family all at once, and like eventually falling for one of the brothers while one of them is incapacitated and so on. But I think and I think that that can be fun, especially handled in a, in a comedy in that sense. Like I think that movie is really successful with the kind of like awkward familial tension of romance in that sense. But this is one of those where it's like you know, my love is sick or away or slain in war or something. And in spite of my woe, I guess I might as well fall in love with one or all of the siblings in the meantime, which always just weirds me out. I don't dig those kind of stories because I just find them creepy. I would say, I think that that sort of situation was so common then because sure, I feel like Suzanne, like a, like a person like Susanna is not only thinking about, well, in this movie, it sort of frames it more as like a, a, as like the heart wants what the heart wants situation, but like Mm -hmm. also stability, ensuring that she needs to marry. Like, I feel like that would have been huge. And there, I feel like during that period, a woman being married to one brother and then the brother dies and marrying that other brother 
that happened all the time. So like, sure. I feel like that does. I mean, I guess maybe that's part of what creeps me out about it though, is like, you know, the patriarchal social undercurrents of all of that. Right. It's like a deeper analysis of why that, ne- like why that system had to be in place is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an important discussion. But I feel like that was like an age old who's like, I got to attach myself to somebody. Sure. But hold on. We cannot say that this movie is historically accurate. Like, oh, no, no, not no, no, give no. It those Not credits. for the most part, no. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I wrote in my notes, and I actually even said this to my roommates last night. Um, I cannot forget that. Um, okay, so the brothers, we have oldest brother is um, Alfred. He's played by Aiden Quinn. Middle brother, Tristan, Brad Pitt. And then the youngest brother is Samuel, played by Henry Thomas. Um, they all end up going into World War One, and Tristan's whole reason for being there is really to keep an eye on Samuel. And Samuel he has to go to war to babysit him. Yeah, what a drag, man. I know, right? <laughs> and uh, Samuel is definitely like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and is really trying to prove himself. And so he ends up going off on a really stupid fucking move or whatever. Um, And what happens is he gets struck by mustard gas and stuck in some barbed wire and then shot over and over again, one man um, by a machine gun, which I cannot understand. While he's ensnared in, yeah, blinded and ensnared in barbed wire. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Brad Pitt is trudging toward them, shouting no. And they're like, oh, better shoot this guy in the barbed wire. Load this up really quick. and, And then, and so- my problem here, well, everything's a problem, um, but mustard gas. Okay, so this is presumably in 1915. This is where they're setting the stage. Mustard gas wasn't used then. And I just, and also Connor mentioned this to me earlier. Um, mustard gas would have impacted somebody way more than what it did for Samuel. They were using chlorine gas in 1915. It was introduced then. So okay. that could, and it did burn with a green smoky after effects. So it could be that. Was it green or was it yellow? Uh, I suppose kind of a greenish yellow. I don't know, but at any rate. Also, I don't know if we can look to the color of the smoke. They probably chose it for visual effect. I'm sure they meant mustard gas, but like there was chemical warfare in that era, just not specifically mustard gas. You know what? I see and hear you. I'm still not going to give this movie credit. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I, I really feel like the movie... Well, this is a really good lesson in the power of of grouping and the power of pairs. And I feel like this movie, especially Dave, you brought up sort of the first half, the first chunk. My favorite part was when all the brothers are at the cabin. Susanna comes in and just sort of the power dynamics of the colonel, Anthony Hopkins and the brothers and sort of their dynamic as that's evolving as everybody's sort of on this ranch and navigating each other. I think when people are split apart and we're following everybody individually, the film is just not as strong. And I think then when the pairs, you know, pairs, groupings, I think it's a really good lesson in, you know, the power of keeping people together and how maybe if the movie waited later to start separating them. So I, cause I would have watched more of this family dynamic, but then when they all get separated 45 minutes into the movie, then it's sort of like, what is the course now? Like what's the emotional through line? And are we just hearing it in voiceover or I'd rather see it, you know, conflict person to person than letter writing and narration. Yeah, that's a really great point, Connor. And so the reason why I picked this movie is because (laughs) 
which is usually my shtick. I love movies that really explore family dynamics and relationships. It's funny, Dave, that you mentioned while you were sleeping. That was my pick too. Um, but I, I love the relationship between the three brothers and Connor exactly right. Like when we see all of them together at the ranch, it's such, it's so heartwarming and it's so beautiful. And it really makes me think about what actually like binds families together. And I remember, um, on my dad's side of the family, when my uncle passed, the family just absolutely fell apart. And, um, it, it hadn't been like that. My uncle, we didn't know that he was the, what I wrote in my notes here at the linchpin, but he like really was. And so I'm wondering who do you think that character is? Like who was the glue of the family? My knee jerk was Samuel, but I don't actually know. As far as giving a character, the most narrative attention, it's easily Brad Pitt as Tristan. Mm -hmm. As far as the actual foundational like re relationship glue of the family i i would be hard pressed to say especially because yeah even early on like I, I found there was like tenderness to their interactions but i didn't feel a lot of depth like i didn't really feel like i got too much of a sense of like who these characters are to each other outside of brad pitt being kind of othered mm -hmm. so i don't know even in that sense i didn't feel like there was a whole lot of substance that i could glean from it outside of its contrast to the rest of the movie which is maybe why I enjoyed it, albeit wanting more. So I don't know, mixed bag sort of on that front. But I would say, yeah, as far as the, the story is concerned, as far as the storytelling is concerned, uh, Tristan is basically, you know, the the forward momentum of the story for the most part. But as far as the actual, like, linchpin character, uh, in, in quotes, as far as the glue of the family, it's, it's difficult to say, uh, especially because the family does so desperately unravel after Samuel's death. So maybe it is Samuel. I don't know. It's, it's tough call. I think it's Tristan because he is the protect, like you all mentioned, he's the protector or takes it upon himself in many situations to like protect his brothers, protect or like defend their house. Um, and I, yeah, I think that we see him go through the most uh, sort of emotional trials. He's the most, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Um, he's the most torn up when Samuel gets killed. I mean, he has to witness all of that. So I think, yeah, I think I would agree with Dave and say that it, it doesn't explore it with the depth that it probably requires, like for a care, a person that would have gone through all that. But I would say he's definitely, uh, the glue of the family. Um, because also his returns back to their homestead are framed in such like a oh he's finally home he's mm -hmm. he's gone and he's traversed the world and he's experienced these these travels emotionally and physically and then he's returned so he's like one with that land uh and that home and that the horses and the farmstead so yeah i think it's really like his He's the, he's the not there. Yeah. And I feel like I've got some notes on his like sabbaticals and returns that we'll get to oh, later. But oh, <laughs> see, that is Legend of the Fall right there. <laughs> like, like orchestral returns. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think what was tough for me and, you know, thinking about this question is there, like, what's the inciting incident? What is the, the plot? Who is like, Tristan is the character we spend the most time with, but it's sort of like, 
what is his journey to like kind of what's his character arc? I guess I had a tough time from like screenwriting kind of like 101 of sort of like what ignites this plot in motion. Is it Susanna arriving? But then it, it's sort of like, I think very unclear of it's, I feel like this movie is a little more concerned with setting a tone than necessarily like character A goes to, you know, state B to state C. Um, so I think that's almost, what's go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's almost like there's competing inciting incidences where like there's the, the initial setup story of like, you know, uh, Tristan wants to die like a, a good death as we're told, which is an, an establishing like uh, micro arc. There's also, yeah, the arrival of Susanna, which is another micro arc. There is the, the war being declared, another micro arc, Samuel dying, another inciting incident. So it's like, it really kind of like tries to start several times before anything really gets rolling. And by then there's so many storylines that it's hard to keep track. But it's like, I think the episodic nature of the movie isn't necessarily a wrong approach because you're covering like 50 years or not 50, maybe like 40 years of material. And I think it, the movie wants to like sort of maybe portray a lifespan. And so it's like, as life happens, there isn't a central climactic moment per se to a life, but it's sort of episode. Now, for a movie to be interesting, you got to have some tension. I was going to say, you got to pare that down a little bit. You can't tell the whole life story or it's, you know, it's an exhausting movie. And, and, I, where, does the, and where does the the tension come in of characters' wants, characters' desires? You know, these characters, I guess, generally want things, but the fact that these are told in voiceovers or letters um, or happen, like, you know, the fact that uh, Alfred's the older brother, right? That, Alfred? Yeah. So that he wants to be a politician or wants to make change or bring humanity into the government. Sort of like that sort of just comes like an hour and a half into the movie, if not more. So it's like I wish that some some of these seeds of what these people were to become or their desires. Like, yeah, Tristan wants to fight a bear. Alfred just. I don't know, Connor, because they did set the seed of. Alfred wanting to be in politics when Susanna first gets there and um, they're having that conversation about uh, Susanna being a fan of whatever kind of politics. And he's like, oh no, I'm in agreement and blah, 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 blah. So it's a very thin line. It's a thin line, but it's there. Which also I think part of his motivation too is like he falls for Susanna immediately. So like a part of his blustering and like seemingly impassioned interest in politics is seemingly bored largely out of that, as far as I can interpret, at least in the beginning. Can I ask, like, I find the love square with the brothers and (laughs) (laughs) Susanna to be terrible. And I just feel like they don't, they don't really have chemistry. That's what I felt like, particularly, and I, and I think that this is, you know, for a reason, um, but her and Alfred, um, who she mm-hmm. ends up actually marrying. But I, I just am like, sometimes it was a little hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed, <laughs> I found myself, I know at the earlier part of this conversation, I was defending maybe Susanna's choices of, going from brother to brother, but it, but there's a point at the, like towards the end of the movie, Tristan, Tristan is in fucking jail and she comes and visits him after already having married Alfred. It's like, let it rest, let him move on. Like, she's like, 
you know, I, I hoped, okay, this is after Tristan oh Christ. Yeah, that's right. oh, has God. been fucking killed by a stray bullet. And she got, she has the nerve to be like, I have to admit, I wished your wife, to, I wished Isabel too to die. And it's like, oh, that's when you're like, guard, this is over. This yeah. is over. Yeah. Like, yeah. And she, yeah. So she like, her arc is going from not pissing me off to pissing me off towards the end. Mm. Um, but also side note, every time they said Isabel too, I just couldn't help but think of Arrested Development Lucille too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard Lily, I was like, wait, yeah. are we, we're doing that? <laughs> I uh, was like, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's an aside, but yeah, Susanna was pissing me off by the end. Yeah, definitely. And you know, like I really hear everybody saying that there's so many different moving parts and, and plots and abandoned storylines. But one, I think that, um, a lot of people think that this is just like a war movie and, you know, obviously (laughs) World War One does happen in it, but I also think that there is this competition and tension between Alfred and Tristan. And, um, I, when I was younger, I was all about Tristan because, you know, Brad Pitt is gorgeous and like, how could you not? (laughs) How is he any of their brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like what the fuck? Although they said it really nicely because I'm pretty River Phoenix plays him as uh, a boy, right? Is that River Phoenix? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, There's the one kid from E.T. in it, but I'm not sure which one he is. River, I, I think River Phoenix would have been like older, if not dead. Then was he? Oh, was he dead by? Okay, you know what? I'll on. He, he was. He name. was deceased. Yeah. Oh fuck! Well, kid looks like fucking River Phoenix. Like, <laughs> well, they do a good job of like, like. Shining him as like the golden boy, <laughs> but yeah, those golden mm-hmm. locks. I don't know where the, where oh, those yeah. are coming from. And you can <laughs> see like like his like highlights. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's like highlights, early 90s low highlights. lights, beautiful it's, blue eyes. It's especially funny too, where um, Alfred also makes a makes a point to say to Susan when he first arrives, "Don't mind my brother. Your dog has more breeding than he has." You have the same parents, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And so like, okay, so we have this war between brothers and, you know, typically like in a war you pick sides, right? And I think that the movie really does want you to pick a side. And so like, I'm wondering, are either of these characters redeemable? I found in spite of Alfred's trappings in the beginning, first half of the movie where he's very creepy, you know, and that's part of Sam, the notes that you provided too. I mean, I wrote down, there's a scene as... He's, he's talking to Susan and asking, yeah, is, yeah, the quote is, is there any hope that you could learn to love me? Yeah. Which like, if you've got to ask that question, you you should already know the answer. Um, but also like, yeah, I, I mean, he's very creepy. He's very like naive about like the political system that he wants to take on, which like his father's very critical of for just that reason, because of his naivete and his, uh, the colonel's learned experience of where that kind of interaction can lead. And I have my criticisms of that that we'll get to later. But um, but at the end of the day, like he does have, a, in a sense, a redemption arc where at the very end he steps in to protect, I mean, obviously spoilers across the board here, but steps in to protect uh, Tristan and his father at a time when he's, you know, an acting congressman and shoots a police officer and all this other stuff. So I think he comes to more of a, a meaningful transformation than does Tristan, even though Tristan is more the focus because Tristan, I found to be not a very captivating or developed character. 
despite him commanding most of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, totally. Forcibly commanding the movie <laughs> through through Scream and through... Yeah. And also just like the questionable nature of his character as well, where like it's like, you know, obviously he's, he's struggling with PTSD and, uh, and the horrors he experienced in losing his brother in the war and everything else. But he also has these like weirdly like like Captain or Colonel Kirk freakouts where he's just like, listen, we're, we're like borderline married now, but I got to go to Africa to like slay wild game. And like, uh, he basically sends a letter back. That's like the apocalypse now, like sell the cows, sell the cars, sell the kids. I'm not coming back. And also just like at the same time, like, you know, like, I don't know, like it's, it's this whole thing of like, you know, he has, he's troubled by like the spirit of the, as, um, one stab our narrator is telling us he's troubled by the the inter spirit of the bear but like at the same time like he's you know he's supposed to be like a like whimsically connected to uh to native american traditions and yet the way that's expressed in the middle of the movie is is him going to slay like alpha predators within uh, an ecosystem which they wouldn't do <laughs> so i'm like to Bring up something you just mentioned, Dave. It's important to note that this entire story is framed, like the narrative framework is one stab is telling the story of the Ludlow family. Mm -hmm. And um, one stab lives with the Ludlows uh, as a member of the Cree tribe. um, And he has his own backstory, which unfortunately we get like two scenes, like barely of like what like, like his life was like. And yet he's telling this like white family story, if this were a different movie, a director and screenwriter could have taken that and been like, if you think that the trials and tribulations of the Ludlow family is fucking stupid, it's it's like, it's this Legends of the Fall colon, like the overdramatic like tale of the lusty, like this these lusty white people who think that they could like know everything. It, it could be like positioned as like, a critique of what like a family in the, like a white family in the West thinks is this like romanticized vision of like living off the land and living, you know, outside the government, the constraints of the government and all of this stuff. And it could be like framed in like a, like an interesting sort of not satire, but like a critical way, but like they, they use one stab essentially as just like, a mouthpiece for this family and like this sort of romanticized vision of their, of their idyllic life together. And yeah, like one of the first lines that one staff has is basically like, I, I reduced it here in my notes to basically like I had sons of my own. They're gone forever now. Anyway, back to the Colonel and his family. And, and, <laughs> Cause we never and talk you, about that again. No. And you, and you're led to believe that it was like, like I got like trail of tears vibes. Cause you know, that like they show everybody and, and, and this is the, you know, a really big problem with the movie. What the fuck time is it ever? Who knows? And I don't know if that was like done on purpose to be like, yeah, who knows? It's just like a, a grand narrative through time. But it's also like, shut the fuck up. Well, you they know? provide they provide years. Sometimes. It's Sometimes. always 1915. <laughs> For like <laughs> yeah, 90 like minutes of the movie, it's 1915. Yeah. That's so true, Connor. You know decades have passed, but yet they only choose between 19, like 13 and 1915 to show the dates. You're so yeah, so, Sam, so Samuel, the youngest brother, dies in 1915 in France um, and then Alfred goes to uh, Helena also in 1915 to start his own business yep 
So it's just sort of like did all of this getting his you know heart back to Fran and him go it just that's like a whole what hour of the movie? Yeah. It's and like okay, all this is in 1915. It's so fucking bananas. But you know, we were kind of hedging on a point that I I have in my notes here that when I first suggested this movie, I was very curious as to how everyone was going to react about how this movie treats indigenous people. And Christine, you had mentioned beforehand that um, this movie probably thought it was a little bit more progressive than it actually was. And so, like, how do you read this movie when it comes to the inclusion of indigenous people? The big thing that bothers me about as specifically as concerns, and this is something I was touching on a little bit earlier, as concerns Hopkins character, the colonel and uh, his son, Alfred, is like Alfred basically telling him, like, you know, look, I, I want to become active in politics because like I'm, you know, I'm seeing like the horrors that you described and like, you know, seeing the, the the mistreatment of indigenous people because, you know, they're people that surround us. They're people we've welcomed into our family unit in our orbit. Uh, but I still see some see them mistreated elsewhere, to which the colonel's response is basically like, well, fuck politics, because like, yeah, it's, it's all a corrupt system. They're going to want something from you and they're going to twist your intentions to like suit this thing, which as concerns indigenous people's rights isn't far off, quite frankly. But at the same time, like the colonel has this, is claiming this moral high ground when he was a colonel during like the expulsion of Native American people. And then his attitude seems to be like, well, fuck it, I'll, I'll just build a ranch in Montana and not worry about that problem anymore, while his son is actively, you know, perhaps naively, but actively trying to make a difference in that regard. So I think there's a lot of hypocrisy there in a weird way. It would have been so interesting to have the colonel have a reckoning of if like Anthony Hopkins was the central character of the story and of how he has, he made his own choices in his life and each of his sons in a different way challenge the choices that he made or challenge his own beliefs. Cause we get David, you just mentioned glimpses of this throughout the movie, but I feel like by the last 30 minutes, he's kind of just like he had a stroke and he just kind of is it's played for laughs. It sort of feels like Anthony Hopkins. Like, kind of, I don't know. It's like, I feel like him is like his, with his own motivations. He's just at the end of the movie, he's like, fuck the government and like flipping them off. Um, right. But there comes a point where like, even before that, like anytime war comes up, anytime there's like actual discussions of like, you know, government becoming active in government to see to these issues as concerns the treatment of their indigenous neighbors who they themselves are fine with and everything like that is like anthony hopkins is basically nope we're not having this conversation i'm shutting it down i moved to montana so i wouldn't have to think about this shit anymore and it's like well then you're not a very active source of progressive good anthony hopkins yeah even though i think the movie does use him as thinks it's using him as a progressive character and like this i feel like as I mentioned before, it kind of like falls under this sort of early 90s mainstream Hollywood being like, OK, we're going to incorporate some narratives of like indigenous history and atrocities that were committed against tribes. And but we're but we're going to have white characters be the ones to be championing indigenous rights. That's what you had right. in Dances with Wolves. That's what you have with Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins characters without actually fully fleshing out characters who could speak for their own histories um, and what was done to them. So, and, and fight for their rights as well. So it's like, I think positioned in the context of like what big budget mainstream Hollywood movies were coming out. I think they were like, yeah, we're going to like make Anthony Hopkins say all the points 
give people the history, you know, that they should have without really investing a lot of time into one, one stab's character, his backstory. And so like, yeah, it's kind of a half-baked, uh, attempt and approach. Yeah. He's kind of like a self-evident character reflecting the ambivalence, but well-intentioned nature of Hollywood at that time, where it's like, I care about these people and I have these progressive ideas, but it, you know, it's, it can't get in the way of my life and my story. I have to, I have to do my thing. <laughs> I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I, they're just plot devices, right? Like that's all it is, is to further the narrative of Tristan for the most part. But hmm. we've been talking a lot about, um, Anthony Hopkins. I, God, Anthony Hopkins in this movie is, I love it. I don't care if he overacts anything. He's good. He's very he's, good in it. He's very good. I think he perfectly acts it. But my favorite, favorite moment is the very end when they have that showdown between Tristan and the like opposing um like cops, but also their bootleggers who are trying to get a little bit of revenge. I think like if this epic movie was going to end in any way, like this is exactly how it had to end for some of these characters to maybe what the movie thought to be redeemed or to, um, you know, reclaim some form of agency. And I think that seeing that in um, Anthony Hopkins's character, I, I think like that's really what they were going for because like you mentioned before, um, you know, uh, he has a stroke and he's really not able to, to do very much, but you sort of see throughout the movie that he is regaining some strength. Yeah. There's like a, I mean, the, the whole thing is, you know, it, it's not totally unearned. That ending struck me as it first happened. I was just like, wait, what now we're doing just like this shootout. It's but so <laughs> the more I thought about it though, it's like, well, we did see like, you know, Tristan returns home after being like traveling the world and he returns home with this, this gun for his father. And he's, he realizes, like, oh, shit, my father's had a stroke since I've been away. He's not going to be able to use this. Uh, but then we see Anthony Hopkins, like, throughout the movie as he's, like, gaining more, like, control of, like, his, his nervous system and recovering from this stroke and, and kind of returning to relative normalcy. You see him trying to assemble the gun. You see him kind of revering it. So it's it, it's very Chekhov kind of thing where it's like, no, that ending is, uh, albeit a real left field uh left field turn is like it's it's earned it's, it's sewn into the development of him recovering from the stroke so it's it's pretty fair albeit unexpected and a bit a bit ridiculous <laughs> oh definitely but it's such a satisfying moment so anthony hopkins comes out in his big ass fur coat and he's like what's going on here because he knows tristan is in trouble and then he just pulls that fucking shotgun out and shoots one of the main um like the the like cop legislative guy and then you're like holy fuck like you were really not expecting it and, and the, then the shootings are really graphic too like yeah, they really take the time to blow those guys away they really do and then perhaps and i think that this moment has lived is now living in infamy with my roommates and i um that when there's one last guy standing and you're like oh fuck this is it like somebody's gonna die um aiden quinn uh, Alfred just like comes out of nowhere. The hottest he looks throughout the whole movie, <laughs> that shotgun there. Whew. <laughs> but it's, it's so good. It's so good. I think that's what, just like, so, Oh, go ahead, Connor. Uh, I was just going to say, I think what that's what makes this movie kind of fun to talk about is that there are these really interesting moments 
um, of craft, of, you know, thematic payoff. And so that's, I think what I enjoyed about this movie is that there were breadcrumbs along the whole two hours and 12 minutes that sort of, as I was starting to sort of feel a little disengaged, an interesting character beat happened or some kind of setup was paid off. So I think this is, for me, was definitely feel like worth a watch. And I'm really glad that we're just having this full out discussion now about it. I just also love that the movie just, whether intentionally or not, leans so far into melodrama. It's mm-hmm. like riveting camp, like in a in a stunning with a stunning backdrop. And I feel like this movie has a life because it's just so singularly melodramatic. And as I just yeah, I already said before, but like and that that ending is so fitting because obviously every like all of the bad guys would die in this like suspenseful sudden crossfire slow-mo event right at the end as they're like defending the homestead. It's just it's like I don't know whether Zwick you know wanted it to re- like maybe he really wanted everyone to take this movie dead seriously, but I think that it has a life because it's so like so comically melodramatic. There's the one, uh, my favorite part of the movie, and I had to rewind it, was um, it was uh, the melodrama of, and Christine, perfect word for it, uh, the melodrama of um, uh, Alfred confronting Tristan on the porch uh, as concerns his, his budding relationship with uh, Susanna and him asking, like, damn it, Tristan, you're going to marry that woman, aren't you? And his, his, Tristan's uh, apathetic kind of response is just like, huh, and make an honest woman out of her. And, and then Alfred's response of, Yes! <laughs> Like, imbe- like not like, even missing Whoa! a beat. No pause. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. such an obscenely big moment. It was hilarious. I mean, also the death of Samuel. Like, I remember that scene just being devastating and just watching. And you, it's like, even if you're watching it for the first time, you know Samuel will not make it through the war alive. Like, no. you know, he doesn't need a babysitter if he's going to make it. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's just Brad Pitt running through the woods. Samuel! And then Samuel is standing like, Tristan, I, I can't see anything. <laughs> He's like, Tristan! <laughs> it's just, it's, you can't, yeah, you can't make this shit up. I mean, Zwick, <laughs> like, somebody did. Somebody did. The screenwriters did. But it is just, it is just, oh, and then when he gets shot by the Germans, riddled with bullets, He's like gets tangled in the uh in the chicken wire like fence, and it's just his body ke- is just body keeps like writhing, which in any other movie is is devastating, and this is just it's it's too much. <laughs> There's also this really drastic. Um, oh, sorry, Connor. This just relates specifically to that. It's just um, if you're going to do melodrama in that way, then you have to pay attention to detail. And this movie doesn't like when he's pulled, <laughs> when he's pulled away from the wire, he's like, you know, he's been shot a bunch of times. He's bleeding out. He's dying. And like, we see a shot, like Samuel's face is like, in, like the bottom right corner. And we see, we're mostly paying attention to uh, Tristan Pitt. And you see like blood pouring out of the side of his mouth. And then we cut back to like Pitt's perspective, staring down at Samuel and there's no blood in his mouth until he coughs it up again. Then it cuts back and there's no blood on his mouth again. And it keeps reappearing and reappearing. <laughs> so it's more and more opportunities for him to like spit up blood in his dying throes, even though he already did. And it's like, ah, oh, man, that feels and, like something you should have written down. And then he takes his, his brother's heart out. Like, 
Like, oh, oh my God. Like, it keeps ratcheting up a notch. You're like, just when this scene can't get more over the top, Brad Pitt fucking stabs his brother and takes the heart out. And you, the next cut, it's like he stabs his brother. Next scene, he's in the tent unwrapping this bleeding heart. <laughs> and not only that, as he's doing it, he's damning God himself. <laughs> And also, like, you would think, like, if another soldier happens by that, who's, like, an American or Canadian soldier, they're going to be like, hey, do you need help over there? Oh, my God, what are you doing? (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 it's a Native American thing. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, God, I love this movie. (laughs) It's just so wild. It's so wild. Oh, my gosh. For me, paired with that is toward the end of the movie when a cow gets caught up in barbed wire. Oh, yeah. oh God. Uh, and I was just sort of like, crazy. so we have this, for everything that you guys said about how kind of funny, campy, weird, bizarre, like that 15 minutes of film are, there's this, for me, really kind of great payoff later when a cow gets tangled and he's trying to save the cow. He looks at a cow's eyes and he has to shoot the cow in the face to put it out, out of its misery. So it's such an interesting movie with all of this melodrama, all this like weird camp. And then some, it does pay off some of these moments that appear earlier, which I can only imagine is because it's based off of a book. That scene I thought that, was really great actually. Yeah. yeah with, with the cow. Yeah. And, and recognizing his PTSD and the impact of not being able to save his brother. That, that I thought was a great scene and a nice touch. And so there's not many movies that can have both of those elements happening at the same time that are satisfying for very different reasons. <laughs> this movie is just an epic in every sense of the word, I guess. Um, but I will like going back to a point that was brought up at the beginning of like the landscapes. This movie really did a wonderful job of just dropping you right in the middle of this beautiful Canadian Rocky land, Rockies landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it really spends a lot of time with the land, with the skies, with the mountains, like everything is convincing as far as like the like production design and the, the shot, the cinematography of um, their, it really, and, and I think it really helps build up the sort of theme of, of the of the house and the farm being sort of this like could be Eden, you know, this like I, I, idyllic space that like in another universe could been a, like a tight family unit that's just living off the land and living in harmony. And of course it all goes to shit, but like I, like I think the backdrop that is not abs- like obviously CGI'd at all. The horses are stunning. Everything is beautiful. You're like, oh, okay, this is so convincing me as to why these characters would want to be here and would, and why this return to the land, like as characters leave and then come back, you're like, oh, obviously they feel a pull to this area. Uh, and it's Sam, you had written in your notes, like this landscape just is amazing. Yeah, it's just... It's it's forty eight percent of why I chose this movie. <laughs> it's a very specific percent. But you know, I mean, like as a romantic choice, I mean, whether or not we were were attached to the the notions of romance within the characters and their dynamics, it's it's a very sweeping romantic portrayal of like the untapped West uh, visually. Like it really does romanticize the vastness and and grandeur and beauty of that that then untouched landscape. And like why they needed the eagle cries, I have no idea. It's because, <laughs> like 
Like you'd think if a like a CGI movie, they'd be like, all right, we need some like na- like animal sounds to convince viewers that we're actually where we say we were. This movie clearly filmed on location. They don't need that extra sound to remind people that there are abundant birds of prey around. (laughs) I think that for me, Christine, that was a really wonderful kind of um, wrapping up the the movie and the things that I wanted to talk about. But was there anything else that um, you folks wanted to bring up about Legends of the Fall? One other kind of, I don't even, I wouldn't even call it a theme, just like a a cinematic observation is the progression from sort of like the death of the West of everybody's coming on horseback. And then there's a shift in the movie where automobiles and cars, um, and then the sheriff goes from being a guy on horseback with only two businessmen to now it's this guy in like a suit with cars, machine guns, everybody around him. Um, so I just thought that was just an interesting observation of this movie also playing with the idea of like transitioning from the old ways of life, which were problematic, but you know, the movie seems to say that the things were somewhat better with the old ways to now we're in the 1920s and, you know, society is progressing and technology is coming in and the cattle trade died off after world war one. And so the family has to go into bootlegging. So these are things that are kind of just throwaway comments a lot of the times or just purely plot devices, but also just another interesting layer going on with the family and the ranch. Well, <laughs> I mean, this isn't so much about the movie as itself as, as it is just like a, a production note in the trivia in my combing that I found to be pretty ridiculous and like a strange thing to have said. Um <clears throat> Uh, Pitt, when interviewed about the production of the movie, commented that he and uh, Julia Ormond uh, lived in the same house while shooting in Calgary. Pitt recalled that, quote, it added to the sexual tension. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Which is an odd thing to say. But also, like, when we get to that point in the movie, like, my notes, literally, I I have them here, where, where, like, Tristan and uh, and, uh, Susanna, like, kind of, like, first, you know, express their feelings for each other too much after he's returned and so on. (laughs) Let me let me just find it here. I'm sorry. Uh, my note was um, first kissed right into fooling around, and oh my god, the positions! What the hell? <laughs> All in caps <laughs> because they're just like remorselessly going through the lover's guide, and it's just like this like 30 second sequence of like holy shit. <laughs> it gets a little graphic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they which go right shouldn't through. be anyone's big takeaway from the movie necessarily, but was one thing that I was just like, "Oh wow!" <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it like it just came out of nowhere. Of, <laughs> it really did. That's like at the end of Cold Mountain in the scene when Nicole Kidman and Jude Law go at it and look in the woodlands cabin. You're like, yep. "Oh, the movie's all yeah." Forget all of the other plot. The movie has just all been building up to this. <laughs> <laughs> which actually, strangely enough, reminds me of uh, another Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt movie, Meet Joe Black, which came out in the nineties. Oh my and that god, was, that's that's right. it's a rough movie but but it also has like this sequence where like brad pitt is falling in love with this woman and like they haven't really interacted like physically at all and all of a sudden it's just like the full kama sutra on display in slow motion for like 10 <laughs> minutes and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> oh man uh well from going with from a scene with no clothes to talking about the clothes the, the la- only other thing mm. i wanted to say is the fucking costumes are so good Oh, like everybody, every single outfit on every single character is, 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 is so great. Yeah. So, so wonderful. 
Really yeah, and as we've said, like the set design and everything else. I mean, set Sam. Yeah, I wrote myself just like a little note, which is like, you know, uh, this this has all the same checklist boxes. This has all the same essentials. <laughs> it has a, a kindred family separated by war or historic events, specifically siblings. <laughs> it's a period piece. Uh, it's a kind of cinematic tenderness uh, as far as its editing, the camera movement, and it has big, uh, scenic establishing shots and intimately lit interiors, which. All of this just rings Sam to me, which which really makes sense. <laughs> well, I, I feel very seen, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course I'm going to love this movie. It really does hit all of that for me. But arguably, it is not a good movie. <laughs> um, it's all right. It's all right, yeah. for sure. It has its moments, um, but I really appreciate you all watching this. I was so nervous to bring it to you all. Like, I almost was like, do you, are you sure you want to watch this? Are you sure? Cause I, I know what this movie is. So um, props to you guys. Thank you for watching it. Um, for those who have not seen it, you have to witness this. Like, like <laughs> yeah, it's so that's, fun that's to true. talk about because there is just so much going on in this movie that like, I feel like everyone can walk away with something to say. And I feel like there aren't, like that isn't every movie. Like this movie is a very specific movie that I would say that most everyone should watch. <laughs> yeah, just one time. Just one time. Just mm-hmm. witness. Just witness this movie. As of this recording, it is available on HBO Max. There you go. Well, stay tuned for our romance series still super excited about it again congratulations connor woo. uh woo, 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 woo. um anything else we want to say before we head out how can i mention just one last thing how yeah, I got funny into was how funny was the bear claw the 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 costumed claw that grabs <laughs> the tree that young brad pitt stabs the thing it's just it, you know this is a throwback but night of the lepus which is a film we talked about like two years ago about there were you know giant bunnies take over a town and there were men and bunny just bunny gloves with like town miniatures <laughs> and so it just reminded it was just a great like prop glove that then got the finger torn off just a very cute movie moment yeah that and also just before we before we Totally wrap up. I just remembered that uh, Brad Pitt dropping the F-bombs in this movie, which is the only time they're used. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, I've, I've been thinking about being intimate with her. And Brad Pitt's just like, you mean fucking. <laughs> and I was just like, this is a freight train driving through the tone of this movie. Where did this come from? I am so happy you brought this up, Dave, because there's another moment where it's like, it's like suddenly... The dialogue transports you to 1994. It's when when Alfred, so Alfred is wounded and he's in bed and trying to convince Tristan to like still protect Samuel. But then word's gotten out that Samuel has like gone to the front lines and is going to like do something brave. And then Alfred says something like, damn it, man. Or like, like, yes, like shit, man, like, you gotta go get him. And I'm like, what period it's are like, we in right now? It's like, <laughs> suddenly he's the dude. Yeah. <laughs> come on, man. I think he says something like, come on, oh, man. Oh, come on, man. You gotta, yeah. protect, come on, man. You gotta protect your brother, man. Like, We're all Americans. You gotta protect him, man. Uh, I wonder if, like, the director was like, all right, you know, Aiden Quinn, just take it where you want to take it. And then he just 
leaves those lines in that are clearly not 1915 period like lines of dialogue but he's like eh, it's it gets the point across why not <laughs> yeah and that in the fucking scene is so good <laughs> yeah i'm realizing like there's so much more that we could talk about but it's there's, yeah there's a lot to unpack with this one's great it's it's hard to pick our the lake house moment Mm-hmm. Um, of what is the one moment that stands out tonally or stylistically or cinematically? Because there are quite a handful that I think we could pick from. Oh, I mean, the the, the final shot is, so the movie opens oh. with a, it, like a bear encounter <laughs> with the stabbing of the finger. And of course, the movie has to end with mm-hmm. Tristan as an old, like grizzled, uh, yes, grizzled man confronting the grizzly bear in the woods and they wrestle and then the movie ends on a still like <laughs> mid wrestle on Tristan's blurred face as he's mid fight with this fucking grizzly. And it's like, obviously, that's the way this movie ends. And then, yeah, and then one uh, one stab says. And he wanted he and he did indeed die a beautiful death. And then we get don't you forget about me. <laughs> yes, you're right. It's so it's such a Breakfast Club ending. Oh man, it is like oh golden, so golden. I suppose that's a real compliment of this movie. There's no shortage of things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it, yes, like please, listeners, just if you have not seen this movie, please witness this movie. And tell us about it if you watched it. Butter with that podcast at (laughs) gmail.com. There you go. So follow us on our social medias, Butter with that Instagram, Butter with that one on Twitter, Facebook. You know the drill. Um, So that's it, everybody. Have a good whatever.